He has chosen you as His people so that you, as one of His people, might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What does it mean that justification is all of grace? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue in Tom's series from Romans chapter 4, titled A Portrait of Faith. The Bible often connects justification, or being declared righteous before God, with the grace of God. It's that attribute by which God desires to be gracious to sinners who deserve the exact opposite. In Romans 4, Paul goes back to Abraham as an illustration of true saving faith. He says that a quality or a mark of that faith is the truth that it's solely a gift of God's grace. We as Christians have experienced the saving grace of God just like Abraham in the Old Testament and like Paul in the New Testament. Today, Tom unfolds the richness of the truth that it's only by God's amazing grace that anyone is saved. Let's join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. Martin Lloyd-Jones relates the story from the life of Andrew Murray of South Africa. Andrew Murray was a brother in Christ, but He was much more mystical in his approach to Christianity than Lloyd-Jones was comfortable, or certainly than I would be and our church would be as well. Murray believed that Christians should not use doctors or means in order to promote or preserve one's health. This was the practice of his life. It's what he taught for many years. Once, when Murray was about to leave on a, a preaching ministry tour, his nephew expressed a desire to join him on this trip, and And so um, there was some discussion about it, but the problem was that his nephew suffered from terrible tuberculosis. It was obvious that medically he was not physically fit to go, he shouldn't go, but Murray, being driven more by a mystical understanding of things, reminded his nephew of passages like Mark 11 that say we're to have faith in God and, and that when we pray we're to believe that we will receive what we ask and we will have it. So Murray asked his nephew, he said, do you believe that God can heal you? To which his nephew, of course, replied, yes, I believe God can heal me. And so Murray suggested that they pray in faith for healing. And so they did just that. And they even ended their prayer by thanking God for the healing which they were confident had already taken place. They took it by faith, as it was described. And soon they left on this extended preaching ministry tour together, confident that the nephew had been totally and permanently healed. Three weeks later, he was dead. You know, when I read that story, I'm reminded of the fact that tragically there are countless other stories like that that follow a similar path and end for well-intentioned believers in similar devastation. I have personally witnessed many examples where people have taken this approach to faith and have found themselves disillusioned and disenchanted. Why does this happen? 
I think it's because many Christians have a flawed understanding of the nature of faith. As we work our way methodically through the second half of Romans 4, we are discovering what real, true, biblical faith is. Let's read it together. Romans chapter 4, and I'll pick up in verse 16. Paul, in the middle of a sentence, really begins to change the direction of thought, so we're going to pick him up in the middle of the sentence as well. Beginning in the end of verse 16, Abraham is the father of us all, verse 17, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope, against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now this paragraph occurs in the larger context of Paul's biblical defense of justification by faith alone, a defense that is taken from Genesis 15:6 and the justification of Abraham that's recorded there. We're looking at the last half of this biblical defense. Beginning in verse 13 of chapter 4 and running down through the end of the chapter, Paul uses Abraham to prove that the means of justification, that is the means by which we are made right with God, was for Abraham, has always been, continues to be, and always will be by faith alone. Now let me just remind you of the flow of Paul's thought here, beginning in verse 13, we see justification by faith alone stated. Paul simply makes a, a point-blank statement, this is the reality. He attained righteousness by faith. In verses 14 to 16, then we, see, we saw justification by faith alone argued. Paul laid down a series of negative and positive arguments for why it is that we should believe justification must be solely by the means of faith. Now, we're studying the third part of his argument, beginning in the middle of verse 17, and it's that justification by faith alone is illustrated. The key to this paragraph is verse 22. Notice the word, therefore. Verse 22 is the conclusion of the paragraph we just read. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. In other words, the faith that Paul describes in the previous verses, verses 17 to 21, is the faith that was the means by which Abraham was justified. In other words, Abraham's faith illustrates the faith that justifies. This is really important for us because this passage then becomes a mirror for us to examine our own faith and see if it's truly saving faith that we have exercised. If it's like Abraham's, then it's saving faith. If it's not like his, then whatever it is we've done, it's not truly saving faith. 
Also, we're taking our time marching through this passage. I, I have intentionally slowed down in this paragraph because this paragraph not only teaches us what saving faith, justifying faith looks like, but it is clearly an illustration of the faith that we as Christians must exercise every day. We, Paul says, walk by faith. That is the Christian life and experience. So there's nothing more important for us as believers than understanding how faith functions because it is the very air we breathe as Christians. This passage is a portrait of faith. In fact, I think it is the clearest, most complete picture of saving faith and even of the faith that we walk by as believers found anywhere in the New Testament. Now, Paul identifies here several qualities that that marked Abraham's faith and that mark all true saving faith. We've already discovered several of these qualities. Let me just remind you. First of all, we discovered that saving faith is biblical faith. We looked at the words, the Greek words that he uses for faith in this passage, and we discovered that biblical faith isn't merely knowing the facts about Christ in the gospel. It isn't even knowing the facts about Christ in the gospel and agreeing that they're true. The demons believe that. There's a third element to saving faith. It is entrusting yourself to Christ. It is confessing Him as Lord. It is believing in Him to the extent that you stake your life, your eternity on Him and following Him. Secondly, we discovered that saving faith is rooted in God's character. Verse 17 Paul says, the reason Abraham was able to believe is because he knew that God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Our faith in God's Word ultimately is rooted in our confidence in God's character. Because He is who He is, we can believe Him. Thirdly, saving faith, we discovered, is a certain hope in God's promise. Verse 18 says, in hope he believed. As I reminded you last week, when you come to the word hope in Scripture, forget everything you know about the English word, because it is not biblical hope. Biblical hope is that certain confident anticipation of what you know is going to happen. That's biblical hope. And in hope, that kind of hope, he believed. Fourthly, we discovered last week that saving faith is contrary to human expectations. Again, verse 18 says, in hope, against hope, he believed. Against all human expectations, he believed God. He looked at his own body, he looked at Sarah's body and said, there's no way, but against all human hope, he believed. And that's how it is with saving faith. We look at ourselves, we look at what we deserve from God, we look at the sinfulness of our hearts, and we're easily tempted to doubt the promises of God. But saving faith believes contrary to human expectation. Now today, I want us to discover two additional qualities that characterize saving faith. A fifth quality that we need to see here that marks all true saving faith is that saving faith is a gift of God's grace. Saving faith is a gift of God's grace. Look at verse 18. In hope, against hope, 
he believed. So that, now I want you to notice this, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations. Obviously, the Greek construction, and it's reflected in the English construction here, so that speaks of purpose. He believed for this purpose. The question is, whose purpose are we talking about? Are we talking about Abraham's purpose, or are we talking about God's purpose? I have to agree with one of the eminent commentators on the book of Romans, John Murray, who says that Paul probably intends both. He intends both. Let me explain what I mean. Notice again verse 18. Abraham believed, and what was his purpose? That he might receive what God had promised. The purpose of Abraham in believing was was so he could gain what God had promised. And you and I believe in, in a saving way for that reason, right? You believe the gospel, why? So that you can receive what's promised in the gospel. But behind Abraham's purpose in believing was God's purpose. It's interesting. The same promise and the same Greek construction occur back in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Let me just remind you of what we learned there. It says, Abraham received the sign of circumcision, which was a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that, here's the same exact construction, Abraham received circumcision so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. Now, Paul is not saying that it was Abraham's purpose. That in the mind of God, he said, I'm going to be circumcised so that I can be the father of those who believe without being circumcised. No, this was God's purpose. God had him initiate the practice of circumcision so that he could be both the spiritual father of believing Jews and the spiritual father of believing Gentiles. Clearly, in verse 11, it's God's purpose, not Abraham's. So, it is likely then that in verse 18, Paul also means predominantly God's purpose. Let me explain it. Look again at verse 18. Abraham believed because it was God's purpose for Abraham to become the spiritual father of many nations. God was the ultimate cause of Abraham's faith. You see, no one believes unless God has first given them the capacity to believe. That's what the Scriptures teach. There's so many places we could go. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Acts 16, verse 14, speaks of Lydia, who was from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. In other words, she was an Old Testament believer. She was listening to Paul. Listen to this. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Luke says, God gave her the faith. He opened her heart to respond. Paul puts it even more directly in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, where he says, To you it has been granted to believe. To you it has been given. It's been granted by God to believe. But of course, the classic text is Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, mark that word, we'll come back to it. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, the key question in this text is, to what does the demonstrative pronoun that refer? What's its antecedent? Could be faith, but more likely it's being saved. It's salvation. For by grace you have been saved, and that salvation is not of yourselves. However, clearly faith is included in the package, right? And so let me reword this, kind of paraphrase it for you with that emphasis in mind. By grace you have been saved through faith, and the entirety of your salvation, including your faith, is not out of you, literally. You're not the source of it, but it's a gift of God. This is what's true of faith. Your faith is a gift from God, as is the entire package of the salvation you enjoy. Here's how Luther put it. Faith is a divine work which God requires of us, but He Himself must give us the strength to do it. Christian, if you sit here this morning and you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you have come to true saving faith, it is only because God gave you the capacity to believe. It was an expression of grace. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you might be tempted hearing that to think, well, there it is. That's the reason I haven't believed. God hasn't. It's God's fault. The fact that faith is a divine gift doesn't remove your responsibility to believe. In fact, in the first sermon that Mark records of Jesus, in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15, he says this. This is Christ speaking to the crowds. This is what Christ says to you. Repent and believe the gospel. Those are commands. In other words, Christ commands everyone who hears the gospel to repent and believe. If you haven't believed, it's not God's fault. It's because you have refused to humble yourself, to acknowledge the gift of God's Son. You have not obeyed Christ's command to repent and believe, and you have added that on top of all the other sins for which you will receive the judgment of God. But if you have believed, it's because God has enabled you to believe. Or if you will believe, it's because God will enable you to believe and give you the gift of faith. Now look again at verse 18. Abraham believed in keeping with God's purpose. What was God's purpose in giving Abraham faith? That he might become a father of many nations. It's not primarily referring to his physical descendants. Paul has already made it clear that in Romans 4, he's not talking about the physical descendants of Abraham. He's talking, as he says back in verse 16, about Abraham's spiritual descendants, those who exercise the same faith Abraham exercised. So Paul is saying then that God chose Abraham and granted him the gift of faith because God wanted to produce from him a spiritual family who would believe like he believed. Can I just say in this Christmas season that it's important for you, believer, to understand that God has given you the gift of faith for a very similar purpose. 
God wants you to believe and gives you the gift of faith to believe so that through you, others might come to believe the gospel as well. This isn't all about you. It isn't all about me. Here's how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you are a chosen people. We love that, don't we? Yeah, God set his love upon us in eternity past. Yeah, but listen to how he continues. You are a chosen people in order that, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God didn't just save you so you could enjoy the privilege of being his. Like Israel, we become his witness nation, his witness people. He has chosen you as his people so that you, as one of his people, might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Use the platform of this Christmas season to to look for opportunities, to make opportunities to share the gospel. So, true biblical saving faith is a gift of God's grace. There's a sixth quality of faith, and it is the most crucial, the most important of all the qualities we will consider together in this passage. This one is the most foundational. This is the essence of what faith really is. The sixth quality of faith is that saving faith is founded on God's Word. Saving faith is founded on God's Word. Now, before we look at the passage itself, I think it's important to note that much of what passes for faith today is, in fact, not really faith at all. Let me just consider with you a few examples of what is not a legitimate foundation for faith. And yet, These are places people put their faith. These are the foundation points for many who profess Christ. What are not legitimate foundations for faith? Faith is not confidence, first of all, in visions and dreams. There are a lot of people who have embraced that in light with the the modern charismatic movement. But with the completion of Scripture, divine revelation ceased. If you have a question about that, if you struggle with that, go back and listen online to the couple of messages that I preached on the biblical case for cessationism. That's not a place for faith to be founded with the Scripture having been completed. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part five of his series, A Portrait of Faith. Tom will have part six for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? And Tom, it can't be overstated just how important God's saving grace is in every believer's life. Isn't that right? That's absolutely right. I mean, the grace of God in salvation is a major theme in Scripture and a core doctrine of our Christian faith. There are so many passages in the Bible that emphasize that salvation is an act of God's grace and not related to any merit or work of ours. Ephesians 2.8 is a very familiar one, for by grace you have been saved. The truth is God gave every believer the capacity to believe in his son. That's an expression of God's grace. 
So as believers, we, we must never come to the place where we think that we have contributed in any way to our salvation. This is part of what Paul is explaining in Romans 4. Like Abraham, we must glory in the grace of our God for granting salvation to us. He's the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thanks, Tom. And friend, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.